This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make wind turbine lightning protection easy. If you're a wind farm operator, stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime. Get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system. Learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's show, we've got a great guest, Martin Hughes-Bioa from Rope Robotics is here. He is going to talk about his company, his technology, as they are out re- uh, repairing leading edges of wind turbine blades all over the world. So, Alan, really interesting discussion today with Martin. They are doing a lot of cool stuff with robotics, helping to get these leading edges cleaned up. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from today's talk? Well, Martin and Rope Robotics have evolved the robot technology over the last couple of years to be very efficient at removing old leading edge protection and then cleaning the blade and applying a a much more resilient uh, leading edge erosion surface to, to blades. And that's taken several years of engineering time, technology, building to, to come to the platform they have today. And that platform is really versatile. And I think that's the key to what Rope Robotics has done is that they have a technology that can be commanded from halfway around the world. Uh, So not only can it do the repairs and provide all this data, it can also be commanded remotely. So it's just an extremely versatile tool. And I think that's the the part I pulled out of uh, from Martin was how good this technology is. Because right now we're we're repairing leaning edges with... um, Tech, rope technicians that's what we're doing and it's sort of a manual process and 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 martin's company is going to make it a lot more automated yeah so in today's talk you'll hear a lot about the the actual sort of nuts and bolts uh, i guess quite literally the the technology in the robot itself how it works how they apply their solution all that sort of stuff uh, also about how the company found was founded which is really interesting so they're sort of incubated uh by siemens because uh, martin was a um a, a long-time employee of siemens so he, you know, cut his teeth learning about all the, all the ins and outs of a of a big, uh, obviously, wind energy company. And when he had this idea, brought it to his management, and they said, "Yeah, we actually support you, um, you know, getting your company off the ground and you know doing some R and D." And they were really, like I said, it helped incubate his company, and, and that he still has a, a strong uh, uh, sort of partnership with with Siemens, which is which is really unique and interesting. Um, and that's one of the big challenges a lot of small businesses face is getting their idea from you know from from concept to prototype to actually out in the field. Um, so that evolution with him is really interesting, and he goes into that. And then lastly, we talk a lot about you know jobs and automation and how. You know, people do fear that robotics and, and drones are going to take the jobs of Wintex, but really more and more people, pretty much everyone we've talked about, uh, and I think, Alan, you you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you agree as well that, you know, automation is probably just going to allow people to have easier jobs and do the same work and also open up a lot new of new ones in data analytics and all these associated adjacent kind of fields. I mean, is that how you sort of see 
the way robotics is going to interact with, uh, you know, the humans that control and still have to supervise and take over and, and, and monitor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, there's definitely going to be more jobs in the robotics field and more technicians needed. The growth in the wind turbine industry is going to overwhelm any advancements in automation. The number of wind turbines that's going to be put offshore and onshore are going to explode in the next 10 years. And with that, it's going to come a, a, a huge need for technicians. And then technicians, they can operate robots. That's what's going to happen. So it, it's it's an evolving technology. And if if you're a rope technician now, uh, gaining that extra piece of skill set of being able to also control a robot and understand what the new robots that are coming online are is going to make you more valuable. It's going to increase your pay. It's going to you know expand your horizons. And those are all good things. Yeah. And, and I think at the end of the day, it's not like C-3PO is coming, you know, to, to take your <laughs> no. job. It's, no. <laughs> it's, these are new tools that you'll use on the job, just like a right. new saw, you know, and using your iPad, you know, we didn't use iPads on construction sites years and years ago, right? This is all just essentially it's a new thing to make your job easier. And that's, I think, an interesting takeaway from all this. So without further ado, let's jump to our, our conversation today with Martin Hughes Bioa with Rope Robotics. All right. Well, Martin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for sitting down and chatting with us. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. So we were just chatting off camera that this makes our introduction really easy uh, to talk about the BR-8, which is your current uh, model of robots right there in frame with you. So take us through it a little bit. I mean, that thing looks beefy. It looks cool. Like we know a little bit about what it can do. We're excited to hear more. So tell us a little bit about the, the BR-8. Yeah, thank you very much. So the BR8 is a, is a robot that uh, we developed here in Rope Robotics with the purpose of doing blight maintenance. And uh, first off, we started out with uh, looking at the leading edge erosion problem. Uh, and so so far, we've kind of we've made all the tools for the robot to be able to to perform that tasks. So that means we can we can navigate the blade. We can get up there, move around on the blade. We can do some cleaning of the uh, of the eroded area. We can sand it. We can prepare everything. We can apply some coating and then in that way fix uh, eroded blades. And then on top of that, the idea is with the robot that we will be able to do many other tasks on blades in the future. So uh, the basic structure of the robot is that it's a modular platform. So right now we have all the tools for the leading edge erosion repair but we will be able to equip it with all kinds of different tools so we can fix pretty much any problem on a, on a blade in the future. So that's kind of the, the very basic and simple part of the robot so far. Okay. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but leading edge erosion is, is your main focus right now? That is our main focus uh, for sure at the moment. And, and, and this is basically, we did some, we did some business studies and uh, market studies uh, in the very beginning of the company and looking into this. And, and here it was easy to see that leading edge erosion is pretty much 50% of the whole market of blade maintenance mm -hmm. at the moment. So, mm -hmm. so that was kind of the reason for choosing that. Uh, of course, you could have chosen other areas of the blades to start with uh, that might have been easier as well, because I think we got some learnings also with the, with that part. It's fixing a leading edge is, is not that simple, actually. It's a quite complex process and, and you need to get it all right before you actually have a product. So it takes some it really takes some effort to, to get there. But uh, it's uh, pretty much there now. So we're ready to go out and repair some blades this summer. So looking really much forward to uh, to getting the robot uh, out there in the market. 
Yeah. So obviously, you know, when you think about what a robot can do, you know, with as little human intervention as possible, um, you know, it's definitely going to lend itself to some solutions to problems rather than others. So you guys are using wet solutions. You're not using tapes with the robot. Is that correct to fix some of these leading edges? Yeah, so there's I, I kind of split the solutions for leading edge erosion into three categories. So there's the there's the tape solution, there's the wet solution, and then there are the the shell solutions. And and we're putting ourselves in in the wet solution category. And that's we we did some some thoughts in the very beginning. What do you think is is the best way to work with a robot? And there we came to that wet solution is probably the best and the easiest way to do it with a robot. Um, and of course, in in the wet area, there are different kinds of uh, of solutions. We we actually we started out with using some uh, paint coating solutions. I actually have so this is uh, yeah a spray paint that we so that was what we did in the very beginning, trying to have the robot spray paint uh, the leading edge. And this is also a LEP, so it, it is a strong coating that uh, that that works very well on on the on the leading edge. But it's really difficult to control this spray uh, process when you're up there on the blade and you have a lot of wind and yeah, just makes yeah. it very difficult. Yeah. So, so today we are actually more into uh, some some more uh, you can say high viscosity materials, so not something you spray on, but uh, more a, a a coating where it's uh, you know where it's mixed in a mixing tube and then we are we're putting it on with a with a squeaky like. Uh, uh, and and scraping it on the blade in that way, so so that's kind of where we ended up, and it looks uh, really promising uh, for doing leading edge repair. And we we've, we've done a lot of testing here in our in our workshop where I'm sitting at right now actually, and we have blades here, and, mm -hmm. and we have uh, and now we've done a couple of turbines the last couple of weeks, and everything looks uh, really promising. So uh, looking forward to get it uh, get a lot of turbines done this summer. So if you're if you're listening and you're not watching, so we have a YouTube version as well. I highly suggest you jump over because Martin's got a good setup here in his workshop. You can see the robot and he's actually got a couple in frame. So uh, we always do a YouTube version in addition to our Spotify, iTunes, you know, all our other podcast platforms. But in this case, Martin's pretty he's, he's crushed it with his background with his backdrop here. So <laughs> if you want to check out what he's working with, um, be sure to hop over to YouTube. So. I mean, with leading edge erosion, you know, the, the pitting and the erosion on the edge of the blade is going to vary heavily. So I feel like that, you know, the, the thicker viscosity application is, is, is you probably found that that was going to fill cracks a lot better and, and that are those pits better than the spray modules, right? Definitely, definitely. I think uh, that's also one of the with, the, with the spray solution we started with there, you need to kind of have a process where you, you, you sand the blade, you clean it, then you apply some filler material to kind of uh, rebuild the shape of the blade, and then you do the spray painting. With the, with the new uh, LEP material we're using, there you kind of, you, you basically skip the whole filling process. So you can say that you, you, either you skip the filling or you skip the paint. I don't know uh, which of them you, you skip, but you basically merge them together. So, so you, you, you take out one process of the whole equation and that saves really a lot of time when you're re repairing the blade as well. So uh, doing it faster and cheaper and actually getting a better result as well. So uh, very, very nice. So let, let's talk about how you got to where you are. So obviously that's just one good example of, you know, iterating and learning from from doing right and, and and evolving with your your solution let's talk about the robot as well so the br8 your your current model 
what kind of you know iterations did that go through how long did it take to develop like tell us about the platform itself and and how you got to where you are yeah so a little bit of history we started uh five years ago uh with the company and actually before starting the company there was a lot of you know conceptual check uh investigations and figuring out exactly how do we do this uh but in the very beginning we focused on how should we navigate the blade uh, so there was uh, some iterations about how we're using ropes to uh, carry the the weight of the robot and then using vacuum to make sure we have a stable connection with the blade and we're working on on various methods for doing that and there we actually ended up with a with a solution where we were kind of moving in small steps uh, on the blade with the use of vacuum and it, it worked uh, kind of nice and it and we were able to have a stable connection with the blade. Then uh, from there, we built, developed all the tools and getting that part of the of the robot up and running. So now we are able to navigate the blade and now we are starting to have the tools to actually do the whole repair process. Uh, and with that, we came to, now we have a solution. We have a robot that's actually able to do repair of leading edge, but came to the conclusion that we still need some. We need some more speed into this. It's uh, able to do it, but it's not fast enough yet. And that's where we kind of did a little bit of change in the in the strategy on our design. So now we have made a new uh, navigation system of the robot. It's still ropes and vacuum, but it's uh, now made in a way so it can slide on the blade. So we we can move actually while uh, working on the blade. So we're not moving in small in steps, but but more moving continuously. And we also redesigned the tools so we can now do the repair continuously. So going from a discrete repair where you're repairing sections of approximately one meter, now we can do a repair of uh, like five, six, seven, eight meters in uh, in one go. So, so Martin, the uh, incremental improvement of the robot has, has gotten you to this point where now you can do multiple sections of a blade pretty quickly how does how does that look like in terms of the steps that you do to apply your your new wet material what what's the process there yeah so so the process uh is uh you could say actually quite simple it's uh you you sand the blades and uh, yeah i have a sanding tool here it may be quite easy for you to, to see so this is a uh, this is a, uh, a tool mounted on the robot. You have, uh, this is uh, sandy, sandpaper oh. on brushes. So this rotates and you have the, the leading edge here. And then you basically just slide up along the leading edge while sanding everything uh, on, on the leading edge. Is, is the robot doing the abrading the pressure side and the suction side at the same time? Or are you doing the pressure side and then coming around to the suction side? How does that, how does that go on the sanding? Yeah, so the very nice thing about this uh, this tool is that it actually does the whole leading edge, so both pressure leading edge and suction side at the same time. So it, it's uh, it's this that the shape of this uh, wheel on the on this sanding tool is taking care of everything. So we're taking uh, with this tool, this current tool, we, we're using taking something like five centimeters to each side of the blade is uh, taken care of in one go. So uh, so when that's done. Then you would do a cleaning process, pretty much the same tool. Instead of uh, sandpaper on the on these brushes, it's just cleaning brushes. And then we add some isopropyl alcohol, so we get a nice and clean surface. And when that's done, 
then we do the we apply the LEP coding. And there we have, a, of course, this is a completely different tool, but a, a tool that will dispense the material uh, through the mixing tube and then have a squeegee, uh, uh, yeah, touching the blade and uh, shaping the, the material so you get a nice smooth surface. Uh, so that's the basic process. Then we have a, we have a, it's the process is the same, but we have actually two different LEP application tools for, you can say the, the very tip of the blade, the outer uh, half one meter of the blade, and then the rest of the blade. There we have a uh, a different tool to take care of that. So it's quite it, it's uh, we did a lot of uh, testing and trying. How do we do this? Because there's very big difference between the leading edge on the on the very tip of the blade and then the rest of the blade. It's much more narrow and everything. So uh, so there we decided to go with two different tools for for that area of it. How adaptable is the robot to the different manufacturers' blades, kind of like a Siemens blade to a Vestas blade to a GE blade? Is your robot adaptable to all the varieties of, of uh, blades that are in service? So that's it's been a, a target of our design uh, all the way to make it uh, flexible and adaptable as much as possible. Uh, we have uh, we have mainly been working with uh, with Siemens blades so far. Uh, and that comes a little bit with me having a background in Siemens and good connections there. Uh, but, uh, but, but that means that's where we have the most experience so far. But we have been working on some, on some LLM blades as well. Uh, so, so we can work on pretty much anything. And we're not, uh, you can say, even though we've been working on Siemens blades, it's not because we have the, the you can say, the, the cat drawings and everything from the blades. So we can... We're basically we're working on the blade, uh, no matter the shape of it. So it's it's adaptable tools. There is, of course, there are some limitations, and I haven't tried all blades in the world yet. So we're probably gonna end up on some blades out there that uh, give us some hiccups, and we need to go back in the in the lab and uh, and do some a little bit more uh, work on that. And then, as far as speed, because you mentioned speed. Um, you know, how long does it take? Uh, you know, your robot and and the techs who are going to control it to do one blade, one turbine, you know, one job, one site, like what, what is the current level of speed? So currently we've been, uh, we've been working with uh, something like a blade a day, one to two blades a day. But my expectation is that during this season, uh, we will achieve uh, three blades a day with a robot. Um, their setup we're gonna do is something like having uh, three guys two robots and uh, then the target is uh, within uh, 21 we will be able to have these three guys two two robots complete two blades uh, sorry two turbines a day so uh, yeah two turbines a day wow. that's uh, uh, and two robots that's the target for this year Tell me about the, the, the human element here. So you said three technicians um, working two robots can complete two turbines a day. That's your goal for 2021. Um, what, what, what's the role of the three, the three humans? Um, you know, if it's one person maybe actually directing the robot, then is the third sort of just supervising, helping out, lending an extra hand? Uh, how does that sort of orchestra work? Yeah, so there's, uh, you can say, in the morning when you arrive at the turbine, there's uh, some rigging jobs to be done. You need to 
prepare the robots, getting the ropes rigged on the on, on the turbines. You, you climb the tower, you attach ropes in the nacelle, uh, lower them to the ground, attach it to the robot. In that phase, there you need to be a few people. Uh, ideally, you would actually be four people in, in that phase, but three people, uh, that's that works quite well, and you can uh, get that job done. Then during the day, you would uh, you would have two people uh, controlling the robot and uh, doing you can say all the uh, behind the, the 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 computer screen and and yeah uh, decision support for the robot that part of it, and then you have an extra guy being standby, and that means when you have to take a robot down to reload it with uh, with some consumable materials, if you need to put another canister in the tool or something like that, then you have an extra guy uh, in the field to support that part of it. So that's uh, that's basically the setup. And then as far as the tech's job, uh, so the technician sort of analyzes the, the potential repair, he decides or she decides where and how long the repair should be, and then once he sort of like add all the parameters in he's gonna press go and then the robot's gonna sort of take over the rest is that is that an accurate depiction of it yeah pretty much so it's uh i tend to say it's it's semi-automated so we have the humans to do some decision power through the robot uh deciding yeah how much should be prepared and is the when you've done a sanding checking the quality is that good enough do we need to do another run to to make it uh, uh yeah up to the standards we uh, we require and then when uh, the, the technicians and approved the, uh, the process, then they uh, execute the next process. So semi-automated. And I think uh, that's actually one of the areas where we in the future expect also to improve the, the robot and even automate even more. So you get some, some AI in there in the robot to assist the technicians in this decision making. And, and maybe in the future, you would even be able to optimize that even more. So Martin, what's the level of technology that's in the robot what all is all packed into that into that canister yeah so uh, again we have uh, a lot of the complexity we have put into the into the tools and that's basically also to keep uh, keep the robot uh, flexible and modular but the the robot the locomotive as we call it uh, itself has uh, there's the drives for the for the motors where we're coiling up uh, ropes so we that's Basically adjusting the distance on the on the blade. Uh, then there's the robot arm uh, and the controller for the robot arm. Then uh, then there's some pneumatic system in the in the robot because we're it's not just tools. You actually need to be able to pick up these tools and place them back on the robot again. And this is all done with with it, it's pretty much standard tool robot tool change equipment, and that is all pneumatic uh, controlled in our system. So there's a Quite complex uh, pneumatic system there to, to handle that, and then there's some uh, some systems uh, so providing an interface to the to the tools. So all the tools have uh, have also pneumatic interface. So we have some some air pressure out there. We have some vacuum out there. Then there's uh, electricity out there. So you have uh, here in Europe we're running 230 volts. So that's a 230 volts uh, AC to the to the tools, and we have some 24 volt supply. We have some serial communication stuff like that. So so all that is controlled from within the robot, and where we have the computer controlling everything. And then in the on the tool side, there you then build in whatever mechanics you need to do a specific job, and then you have 
uh, all the I/O based on the on the serial communication you have with the robot. So there's quite a lot of stuff there. Uh, and then on top of that, we actually have there's cameras. So we have four cameras on the robot. Uh, one on the robot arm, so you can always see what's going on with the with the tool. We have on each side of the robot and one pointing upwards. Then we have a laser scanner on the on the robot arm as well, so we can scan the surface of the blade and actually get a quite precise model of how does it look exactly here. Uh, we're thinking about in the future being able to scan the erosion, so you get a quite good model of what was your erosion like, and then have a. I was involved in a research project together with DTU here in Denmark, and there we're trying to build models on quantifying the AEP impact and noise impact of your erosion. So that laser scanner is going to give us all the data for, for that part of it. Then we also have a force torque sensor to be able to measure what are the forces and impacts on our tools. Just quite a lot of stuff in there and I probably forgot some of it all. <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit because you mentioned your background with Siemens and you know we had chatted a little bit about how you got started. Um, but you were in a lot of ways sort of incubated by Siemens. Can you tell us a little bit how, about what you did with them and how they sort of helped you guys, um, you know, get this concept going and, and, and because I feel like a lot of companies, they struggle to get that sort of, you know, from concept to prototype, right. And then from prototype into a real world and actually out there on blades, feel like that's a big challenge so can you take take us through that process because it seems like you guys have that hurdle was actually pretty low for you and that you really kind of hit the ground running yeah i think we've been really lucky on uh, on that part and got some really great support from uh, from our from especially from siemens getting started uh so going way back uh, the idea we we uh, there's me and a, and a colleague in uh, in Siemens we kind of uh, got this idea of working on uh, blades with uh, with robots and that basically came from uh, my colleague he was work doing some statistics on uh, on on leading edge erosion and how widespread this is going to be in in the Siemens fleet and the whole industry and came to some see this is going to be quite a big uh, problem in the whole industry and talking about maybe we could do this in a different way than doing having people working from ropes and platforms and stuff like that so there we came with the basic concept of a robot doing repair on blades and uh, we presented that to to the management and uh, and said we would actually like to do a company uh, based on this uh, on this idea and uh, there we got uh, a go to to do that and you know no, uh, a lot i think a lot of managers a lot of companies said uh, uh, sorry can't support that uh, you have a job here you need to take care of that but we actually i was really lucky and and really grateful for for our manager being uh, supportive of this so uh, so they helped us uh, in that way setting us free basically to to work on this in our spare time getting the the concepts in place so that's kind of the, the first part of it. Then in the in the, a Christmas holiday, we uh, we borrowed a uh, laboratory in uh, in in Oldbor University, and there we spent a couple of weeks during the Christmas to to test out some of our ideas and concepts. And uh, uh, hence, who I started this with, and and me, we, we we never tried to program a robot before, so that was kind of the first task trying to figure out how do we write a program uh, that could uh, make a robot arm do some movements. 
So during this Christmas break, we did uh, learn to program a robot and we did a few small tools so we could actually sand a piece of leading edge and apply some filler to a piece of leading edge. And we also tested out some of these vacuum systems with moving on on surfaces with use of vacuum. We got all of that tested in the, these two, three weeks and made some small videos and showed it to Siemens and they were kind of impressed, say, okay, that looks actually promising. It's very basic and simple now, but looks promising. So, uh, and we asked them, okay, if we get this up and running, would you be able to support us with some turbines to test this and, and stuff like that? And say, yeah, for sure, uh, we'll be able to do that. And then kind of the whole dialogue with Siemens started and uh, they've been extremely supporting uh, all the way through this, uh, getting this up and running. Yeah, I mean, Alan, you've worked in, in engineering and for all these different companies <laughs> over the years. Is that is that common? No, it's definitely not common. Uh, large companies don't tend to want to have offshoots and they don't know how to manage it. But in, in Martin's case, I think he had a very unique situation and he used it to his uh, ad advantage in a sense that uh, you know, there's you know there's a huge problem out there in leading edge erosion, and it, it's a very difficult problem to solve. Obviously, because there's been so much research on it in the last even year or two, there's been a lot more research on it, and to to go back and try to maintain the performance of all the blades that exist in service right now is is a really really difficult problem. And there's been a lot of different um, possible solutions out there, but I, I like Martin's because it's it's pretty straightforward, right? Uh, you want to clean the clean off the erosion, uh, clean off any contamination, and apply a really really durable coating. The problem has been is that it has involved putting people on ropes to do it, and it's slow. And Martin has evolved some technology, and it was really interesting to hear all those different parts about Martin about what's happening inside the robot because from the outsider's point of view, it sounds simplistic, but it's not. There's a lot of technology in that robot to accomplish those. Uh, that that process to accomplish that process repeatedly. How has that uh, some of the work you've been doing on blades been going? Uh, how's your consistency been? How has the progress been? How's the customer base been growing? How does that now that you have a technology that's working? How is it going out in the field? What are you seeing? When you're looking back, there's so many things that if you knew what you know today, you would have done it so much differently from the very beginning. And there's also times yeah. where you really love to being able to turn back the, the time just uh, a little bit to have <laughs> avoided these mistakes and stuff like that. But I think that's the nature of, of, of all, uh, basically all uh, development, all R&D. Uh, I was hearing uh, another pod podcast the other day where they're also talking about a lot of people have this perception that, uh, development and new technology happens in a, you know in, in the in the in the blink of an eye and somebody comes with a brilliant idea and now we just have something new that's yeah. not the way it happens it happens yeah. in small steps and then you get wires and and it, it takes time and uh, we've done a lot of iterations and tried to do a lot of different stuff off uh, so so right now uh, we're we're sitting here with with what we think is best now but I'm also sure that's gonna evolve in the future we're gonna find more improvements and continue improving proving this so uh, yeah this is where we are now um, so so right now I think the, the main thing is we are at a place where the technology is ready to start making business on it uh, and there 
uh, there we really want to now get the product introduced to the market and starting to getting some 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 revenue based on this and starting to make some money because uh, you know it's not free to run a company like this having uh, R&D <laughs> engineers uh, working day and night to to get this uh, up and running it, it sure. takes some money so uh, so getting some revenue and starting to making some of this money back is uh, is definitely a, a big thing for us now and so let, let's talk about that let's let's talk about your 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 business model so are you selling robots? So if I own, you know, a, a wind turbine inspection repair company, uh, are you selling me one of your robots and I'm going to learn how to use it and I'm going to deploy it just like I would, you know, a, a, any any tool in my shed? Or do I need to contract you and you guys take care of all of it yourselves? Like, how, how does that, that work going forward? Yeah, so we, we're still trying to figure out the exact right business model for this. Uh, and... And we've been starting off by uh, hiring our own technicians. So we have our own uh, wind turbine technicians that are trained in using the robots and, and have all the certificates needed to be able to work in, in turbines. And in this way, we can we can sell the, the, the robot as a service. So you basically, if you had a turbine, you just give me a call and I will uh, arrive in your wind farm with the robot and control equipment, all my technicians, everything, and we do the complete job for you. So in that sense, we're a, a service company doing the repair. Um, but for us, that's more a way of getting started to show to the, to the world that this is the product we have and go out there and do some some small simple demos and yeah basically showcase the robot the from there the idea is to do partnerships with the existing service company companies um i don't think uh we're going to be the best in the world to handle all the logistics and and dealing with uh, all the blue collar technicians working out there in the field i really have so great respect for for these service companies uh, taking care of all this there's a real a lot of complexities and logistics in handling all that stuff uh, making sure that goes on uh, safely and uh, at the right prices and in the right way so so that's why we would like to do partnerships instead on that area and then we can focus more on the, on the technology part of it so that's going to be transforming from a service into more a you can say maybe a franchise uh, like business model where they can buy or lease the robot from us and then we will train their technicians in in using it the right way yeah that makes sense and i'm, I'm sure i mean alan that seems like that's going to eliminate a lot of that complexity like you said just logistically sure. where you know you don't want to be trying to organize you know 18 technicians in this state or in this country in that country and that i mean that just seems like a really big task and like you said that would probably drag you off of your core focus which is making technology that works like making a robot that really does a great job for whoever's operating it martin is one of the aspects of your robot is that it can be commanded off-site or controlled off-site through the internet so as then if you were to franchise the the robots out into service to different um, repair companies around the world, you still have ability to interact with that robot via the internet, right? You can still provide service over the web. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we, we actually done some some testing on that already. Uh, we we already uh, represented in the in North America. So I have a, I have one of my technicians in uh, he's in Canada at the moment and has been working a little bit in the U.S. earlier. And uh, there, I'm supporting him 
basically sitting here in in, in Aarhus in Denmark. Uh, so when he's uh, out there and like to get a little bit of support on what we're doing, then I just pull up a video feed from the robot and I see the whole control of the of the robot from here. And we actually did a small test. Uh, he wanted to prepare some of the tools for something. I said, okay, let me just try to take the control of the robot. So I was sitting here in uh, in our office controlling a robot operating uh, in in North America, and it, it worked smoothly and very well. So definitely, I see a future where where we have a control center somewhere where we where we basically controlling the robots uh, and doing this decision support for the robots from a uh, you can say an, an office uh, location somewhere in the world, and then you have all the on-site handling of the robot with the rigging and preparing the tools and stuff like that is done uh, on-site. And then in that way, you would have these two or three technicians. They would not be taking care of two robots. They might be able to take care of maybe ten robots instead, something like that. So that's yeah. definitely uh, an, op- an an opportunity of uh, of yeah improvement and uh, efficiency. And then, you know, it seems like, especially as wind turbines continue to grow in size, right, they're getting, I mean, they're gigantic. And as offshore, you know, continues to spread, like, you know, there's more um, capital allocated all over the world for offshore wind farms coming up. It's, there's definitely going to be this harmony between drones and robotics and, you know, like the data centers and, um, and the technicians themselves. I mean, how do you see the robot sort of fitting into this whole ecosystem? I mean, do you see it working side by side with, you know, aerial drones? Do you see it, you, you, you collaborating with other companies? Um, you know, the whole task of just servicing the whole wind turbine market, all, you know, just taking, making sure all these things keep running. Um, how do you feel like, uh, you know, rope robotics fits into that ecosystem? I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, the future of wind turbines is going to be equipped with a lot of robots and a lot of drones all over. Um, so today you see drones mainly used for inspection uh, and starting to become a little bit of transport of, uh, of spare parts and equipment uh, between uh, a warehouse and the, and the individual turbines. So, so drones are going to, I think they're going to take more and more tasks in that way. And uh, now we have our robot that can do work on the, on the blade, but I definitely also see robots taking care of jobs otherwhere in the turbine. So it could be our robot could easily be modified to work on the outside of the tower if you need to do some coding or stuff like that, maintenance on the tower. But you could also see uh, why not work on the inside of the turbine? You could have uh, robots doing uh, inspection tasks and maybe small maintenance tasks task inside the nacelle of the tower. So I definitely see robots uh, going into that. I even also see why don't we join robots and drones? So maybe the drones are the one moving the robots around. Uh, today we have the robot hanging in ropes, but you could easily imagine in the future it was a drone carrying the robot. Um, and I envision somehow you have a uh, you have basically uh, you have a robot and some drones in your in your uh, side office, and then they ba- you deploy them. You stop the turbine from from your computer. You deploy them. They do a repair job, and then they land back in your side office. Uh, that's the onshore setup. In the offshore, it's even better. You know. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
And you wouldn't even have to pet them or feed them. I mean, they don't, you know, <laughs> can leave them at home alone. They don't get needy. Yeah. Just good, 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 good drone. Of course, there's always a little bit, uh, some of the technicians uh, getting a little bit worried sometimes when we're talking robots and uh, and drones. Um I heard a, I heard a story from another a completely different uh, business area, but someone implementing some uh, some small robots in hospitals here in Denmark, and they want to carry around medicine and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they couldn't figure out they just the, the docking station for charging the robots just stopped stopped working. And uh, then they put up a camera filming that uh, docking station. It was something with the robot getting wrong into it. And then what they they saw. It was a guy peeing into the docking station. <laughs> so, so basically, oh, no. you know, one of the, the service technicians, or one of the porters, who was uh, he was afraid of using, losing his job due to this robot taking uh, away his task. So he's trying to basically make a bad story out of this, uh, and you know, stuff like that. I could imagine going to happen also with uh, with a robot like ours that our technicians actually being afraid of this new technology taking their jobs, uh, but. As I see it, I've, uh, as I've looked at some statistics also uh, looking back, and all this, all the automa- automation done today and up till now has actually always uh, created even more jobs. So for me, I don't see our robot as something going out there taking people's jobs. I more see it as something that is changing jobs. So you're going from one kind of job to another kind of job. You also have to be honest, you don't see a lot of rope access technicians out there being 60 years old or 65 years old, still hanging in ropes and working there. It's it's a tough job. It uh, it, uh, it have a tendency of uh, wearing you down. And uh, in that way, you could say maybe you have your first young years and you get your experience in ropes. And when you're getting a little bit older, you want to have a family and you don't want to travel so much anymore. Maybe being a robot operator is a, is a better job for you at that time. So you can yeah. still be in the wind business. You can still be working with turbines and, and blades, but now you're doing it from behind the screen or you may be doing it where you don't have to be hanging in rope, but you could use a lift in the, in the turbine. And that way it's, 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 a more, uh, it's a more safe and more easy job to do. So I think there's definitely a big part of this that is not just uh, the financial part of uh, doing it uh, much cheaper to do the repair of the blades, but we're also doing it significantly safer, not just on the actual job when you're hanging in the blades, but also not wearing people out as much as uh, done today. Yeah. I, well, I think that's a good point because you're right. I mean, with any physically demanding job at some point, you're going to start to say, man, my aching knees, like I just don't want to <laughs> climb this thing today and be up in the swirling winds. Not to mention just thousands and thousands and thousands of exposures to anything, whether it's a construction site, you know, whether it's working on cars. I mean, just the more exposures you have to just random risks, you know, the more likely are like I used to work on cars a lot in high school. And just if you put in enough hours, you're going to bust your knuckles on something. You're going to drop something on your face when you're underneath the car. Like just even when you're careful and you're really good at what you're doing, like little things are going to happen and they're going to add up. And sometimes you just... You know, you twist an ankle, you, you know, like you said, it, I think it really would provide a nice way to transition out where people don't see the end of their, of their, their useful life and they're not put out to pasture like an old racehorse, you know, like 
yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm really good at it. And now I can be on the ground more rather than just always being getting kind of beaten up, you know, up on ropes, you know, 400 feet off the ground, which is, which is <laughs> amazing and terrifying and hats off to them, the men and women that do that job. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's, I think it's, it's quite impressive what these guys can do. And, uh, the guys I've hired in today is actually people that have been working from ropes and have this experience and, uh, and, and I really see how they appreciate uh being able to do a lot of this work from from the ground and not being able to do that uh, needing to go up there of course i also see sometimes they like to get up there again and just get uh, mm-hmm. get a little bit of the sure. uh, that uh, that work and i think that's uh, you know that's the nature we always we also love what we did uh, earlier and, and and that kind of experience and and i see also that going quite well hand in hand with with the robot because there will be tasks the robot can't fix sometimes mm-hmm. there is something a damage so complex on the blade that it doesn't make sense to make the specific tools for the robot to fix that then we still have all these uh, uh, really well well educated robot access technicians out there can can, can save the robot you know uh, go out there and fix what we can't do so it's uh, we're never gonna be able to work completely without these guys i don't i don't believe that we the human factor is uh, you know the human is is a really really brilliant machine it's uh, really incredible what we can do with uh, with the human body and uh, and the human brain it's uh, really really incredible so i'm i'm not being able to do that kind of ai in the in any nearby future <laughs> Well, and Alan, we were just talking about, you know, wind turbine technician jobs uh, on, on, on a recent episode. Um, I mean, what, what's your what's your forecast for the future here? I mean, do you see this kind of the same as, as, as Martin does? I mean, where do you see this job evolving in the future? Well, you're definitely going to have to have experience on blades and understanding what the, the failure modes are and the types of repairs. You're going to need to have that knowledge base to to do what Martin's doing, which is to do the repairs. You need to understand what's happening out there. And that part is just really hands-on. That's always going to be hands-on. What, what Martin then is doing is, is expanding the, the list of capabilities that the rope technicians need. Uh, they're going to need to be a little more computer savvy. Most of them are already. And, and understand some of the intricacies to specific robots because that's where it's going. We're going to more robots and understand what the data streams are coming back from the drones because we're going to see a lot of drone data. And even Martin's robots take a lot of data while they're up there. So you're going to have to uh, be just a little more adaptable. And and when rope technicians tend to be very adaptable people. So I think it's a natural fit, right? So you have the right kind of people already in place. You're just going to expand the knowledge base. And I think that's a huge thing for as as a rope technician and a repair person is to have a broad set of skills because it just makes you more valuable. So you can expect to see a little bit higher pay, a little bit uh, better benefits because you have those skills and that that's good. Well, and that's one of the last things I want to touch on is, is, is data. So everyone's talking about data and collecting it, analyzing it, you know, using it to track and forecast and, and all that. So Martin, are your, are your robots just doing repairs? Are they also collecting data? If so, where is it going? And, you know, how does that all sort of fit into to what you provide for, uh, you know, a customer? 
naturally we, we we collect a lot of data of course uh, that's uh, that's kind of the nature of drones and robots and automation is that uh, it comes with uh, with data as well and uh, my background in Siemens there actually worked with big data as well so I was uh, managing a team uh, a department where we uh, taking care of collecting all the operational data from all the turbines doing statistics analytics on on all that kind of all that data so I have a strong background in data uh, and therefore of course I also want to see that from the robot so right now we focus a lot of, of the uh, the image documentation of uh, of what we're doing so robot takes a lot of images of the of the work being done you'd say typically a robot access a platform team will also take images of what they're doing but the robot is just even more uh, persistent with taking all of these images and you you make sure that you get all the data about where you are on the blade what is the humi humidity temperatures uh, serial numbers uh, on all the equipment all that kind of information embedded in your in your images so you know everything from from that individual image uh, so it's it's really the advanced photocard that we embed in uh, in our images then as I mentioned earlier, we have the laser scanner where we would like to collect data about what is actually the, how does the blade look like, not just from an image perspective, but also looking at what is the 3D image, you can say, of, of this blade and getting that kind of information. <laughs> I, I think in terms of just the, the amount of data, uh, you know, one of part of Martin's business is going to be just sort of data collection and data retention and uh, interpreting that data because in this new world we live in and because Martin has incorporated so many unique pieces of information, the laser scanning, I think it's just unbelievable, right? And that, that's a, that's a feature that is just off the charts. Good. Uh, but you know, you're, you're going to start having a lot of that data. And I, I think Martin's perspective on it is you're going to need people who are very skilled in that part and that, and then the big data. And that's where Martin comes out of is obviously is, is the big data out of Siemens. So, he understands that that data is really key to success of of wind turbines and the operation and the performance. Right? That it's not just walk out in the field like it used to be, look around and make sure that, that they start turning. We're way beyond that now. And and Martin, as as that sort of data business grows, how do you see that being incorporated into your business? Because you're you're going to have terabytes of data. Yeah, and and I think that's an that's an area that we haven't fully explored yet. Uh, exactly what's uh, how that's going to be, and I think this is also an area where I want to team up with some other companies that are working already with this. So you see, you can say a lot of the drone companies already are working intensively on how do we utilize the most of the, the image documentation you get from drones and they have a lot of data handling systems built already so that would be obvious for us to kind of make a collaboration in that way with a drone company or someone doing some of these data systems for drone companies so i, I definitely see collaborations in the business on on this area uh, and then as i mentioned earlier with the uh, with the research we done with some of the some other Danish companies and with the uh, 
with the universities where we're trying to model when you have the blade and you see the, the erosion, what effect does that have on your AP from the, from the turbine? And you have uh, starting to be able to model that and, and having, being able to report to the customers. Uh, so you kind of, you just get this because you have the robot anyhow up there and you have this information. Then we have a model that automatically provides you with, with information about what is the, the commercial upside of doing this repair. I think that's, it's good information to get. And I think you could say, oh, is that just nice to have feature and why do we want to spend time with that? But you can say it's also something giving you input to how should you actually plan your repair? Because if you can start modeling, this level of erosion gives you this level of change in output from your turbine and then comparing that with the cost of the repair and what is the uh, the utility, what how much, what is the energy prices in my area? And you can start right. modeling all that and figure out what is actually the optimal maintenance plan for my blade. Uh, not just a general thing, yep. but you know, individual for my wind farm. And I think that's that's just one way where you can see all this data really coming into uh, to play. Well, Martin, I, I think you're exactly right about that. And that's what makes the wind turbine business so exciting at the moment is because they have a lot of what I would call smaller, mid-sized companies, which are have very unique skill sets. And when you start connecting those companies together, then you have a very powerful set of tools. And if I'm a wind turbine owner, operator, or managing a site, I'm going to need to connect you up a little bit because Martin's uh, Rope Robotics has got this really uh, interesting, very Great technology, which is going to fix my leading edges, but it's also going to provide me data. Uh, Danny Ellis over at SkySpecs has all the drone data, and, and he has the software to sort of categorize the level of damage that goes on. And then you have uh, a company like Power Curve and Nick Gardern over there, which is analyzing some of those effects about the leading edge erosion and what effect it has on AEP. When you start connecting those together, you become more powerful. But because each one of those technologies is so technology intensive and your robot technology is very technology intensive you can't have all that inf you can't have great technology coming out of a large corporation like that you know it's going to take a lot of us smaller companies working together to really make the wind turbine operation so much better and i think that's why uh, your company is so interesting because you're bringing a very unique set of te technologies to the to actually to be in service and working but also it connects to other technologies that a wind turbine operator may already be using. They may be using SkySpecs to do the drones. And you can incorporate that data into your knowledge base to go out and repair the leading edge. Those are, those are game-changing, large-scale uh, uh, changes in the industry that are being brought by companies like yours. And I, I think that is really key, and th this is why... Uh, as we talk to more and more small companies that are involved in wind turbine technology, it, it starts to put a framework around it. And as you grow, and you will grow, because I think technology is right on point, uh, how do you see that integration working together? H have you worked with other companies to date about exchanging of data and and how that those companies start to interchange together? Is it, Are you already starting to work some of those relationships? To be honest, we've been so much focused on getting our technology up and running, so we're ready to go out there and, and actually 
proved to the market that now robots can can actually repair blades. So that's simply not been. Uh, I haven't had the time to <laughs> to go into this area yet, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I do though. I have had some some talk with some of these companies uh, already. Uh, I know them. They know me. And, sure. Uh, I and, bet they do. And we have. Had had these uh, initial talks that uh, we we ought to do something together, but right now, to be honest, it's a little bit uh, I'm the bottleneck uh, <laughs> at the moment on, on that part. Uh, but but you know, definitely we're gonna go there, and uh, I think it's gonna be uh, be great as well. And and uh, again, I'm I'm happy to work with all these companies because I don't believe that we can we can't do it all ourselves. And uh, like. Uh, like my uh, my managers in Siemens says uh, also they can't do it also they also need these small startup companies coming up with their technology and, yeah. and, and supporting the wind business so I think we, we need each other all of us and uh, I think that's uh, that's great it's uh, it's very it's very uh, fantastic to be in the wind business and seeing all this yeah. new stuff coming along and then having both these enormously big players like Siemens investors and all of the big <laughs> utility companies as well and then there's still room for small startups like uh, like me and you know also the other drone companies that some of them are getting quite big now but they also yeah. started small and uh, yeah so it's it's re- really fantastic so martin uh how can people follow up with you and your company so naturally we have our own uh, website roprobotics.com uh you're welcome to uh, to have a look there we have a youtube channel as well where we're posting uh, videos once in a while it's not been so much over the winter uh, but we're definitely gonna post some videos here during the summer when the robot is uh, getting into operation again and and of course we also on social medias like facebook linkedin uh, etc so yeah, please uh, hook up, connect with us uh, on all the different platforms, and uh, then we'll share some more information with you guys. Yeah, so as always, we'll link below. So if you want to follow up with with Martin and his company, uh, Rope Robotics, be sure to check out the description, whether you're on YouTube or the podcast platform of your choice. We'll have links you can click right through. Martin, thanks again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. This was a great talk, and it was uh, really, really interesting learning more about your robotics and and where you guys are headed in the future. Thank you very much. It's been really a pleasure uh, meeting you guys as well and uh, being a pleasure here talking about my our product. It's always nice to share. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Uptime Podcast. A big thanks again to our guest, Martin from Rope Robotics. Be sure to follow up with his company, doing a lot of really interesting stuff and definitely spend some time on YouTube checking out their robot, the BR-8 in action. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen. Thanks again for watching or listening, and we will see you here next time on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.